Hello and welcome to Comic Book Herald's Hickmania, a series running through 2022 where we'll be reading and analyzing the creator-owned works of writer Jonathan Hickman from his debut, The Nightly News, through to his most recent output. We'll be reading one creator-owned work a month through 2022, and each month I'll release a new analysis with a new guest discussing the comic. Today I'm joined by Sean Dillon, editor and writer at Comic Book Herald, has also written for the likes of Panel X Panel and other outlets. We're going to be talking about the Red Wing today here with Sean. Uh, This is written by Jonathan Hickman. We got artist Nick Patera, colors by Rachel Rosenberg. And this was released, it started to release in July 2011 and came out throughout the remainder of that year. The Red Wing is Jonathan Hickman's fifth creator-owned work released via Image Comics. If you've been with us on the Hickmania journey, you have experienced the other four. This is the last of his sort of four-issue miniseries cycle. You know, these short little um, minis that were coming out via Image. And it's a story of fighter pilots who can fly through time in this sort of ambiguous, endless time war, okay? But the concept is very much war through time, and it's all based around fighter pilots. This is an interesting one, I think, historically, and we can talk about sort of the context and and how it was hyped and released at the time. I want to talk first, though, just very broad strokes, Sean. The Red Wing is one of, I think, the most forgotten. Like, Like, for me, it's like transhuman and the Red Wing, are the two that like nobody talks about. Yeah, there's a reason we don't talk about transhuman. <laughs> there's a reason we don't talk about transhuman. Um, although I will say, transhuman is more interesting, I think, Yeah. than the Red Wing. Um, and I, I don't want to front load this with like, it stinks because I think there's value here and there's stuff that I want to talk about that does work. Uh, but but let's, let's start there just with like broadly... Having read the Red Wing, having reread it now, what were you struck by on this this read through, and and kind of how does it sit with you? Well, the Red Wing. Well, a few years ago, I had a bit of a Jonathan Hickman in push, but I think it was because of Secret Wars, though. Might have been other things that were happening with you know, people were talking about Jonathan Hickman a lot at the time. I'm and you know, I read as many Jonathan Hickman stuff as I could. I read the Nightly News. I read Ed, uh, Pax Romana, uh, Red Mass for Mars. Or among others, there's up the. There were two that I missed out on: Secret, which I just couldn't find a copy of, of, and the Red Wing, which just didn't seem at all interesting to me. Like it was just a bunch of. Like I read the first issue when they did that. Uh, I think there was this. There was a free issue thing that Image did, like a free number ones for a couple titles. That was back when Comicsology was actually usable. Also. Like I, glory it is. Yeah. 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 So I got the first issue and it didn't really grab me. So I basically didn't read the series until you asked me to do the podcast. Mm-hmm. Uh, so reading the series for the first time, the thing that had struck out to me was it's a bit odd for Hickman. Like it's a bit, it's straightforward. Yeah. It's, I think it's probably the most straightforward thing he's done to this point. Um, it, not probably, it definitely is. And I think in that regard, it feels it almost feels like an attempt at more of a pop culture reader friendly approach to time travel. And I mean, I think the thing with with Red Wing, too, is like it it's almost impossible not to compare it to Pax Romana because Hickman had done a time travel story. <laughs> and one thing one thing the Red Wing really highlights for me is it makes me appreciate Pax Romana actually a lot more. <laughs> you know, um, and I was already pretty high on it. Like I like Pax Romana a lot. I think it's a it's an engaging work. Um, there's a lot there to dig into in terms of the history of it, the social engineering aspects, yeah. right? 
Yeah, I think the problem with Pax Romana from memory, it's been a couple of years, is that Hickman wanted to do it. Pax Romana feels like it needed six issues to fully work. Or, yeah, and Hick right. Hickman had six issues of ideas. Uh, so he basically spends the last issue just doing here's a timeline of the entire history of Rome. With Red Wing, meanwhile, you feel like it needs another issue, but he doesn't have that fifth issue idea. I think this is best highlighted in the ending page where the general talks to the lieutenant about, about the future, and it's revealed that the general is actually the lieutenant's its son. And it's yeah. sort of a... It, the implication yeah, spoiler, spoiler warning. <laughs> we yeah. do talk about these in detail. Usually yeah. I say that up front. Um, I'll put that in the show notes as well. But, like, yeah, like, it's all... Let's just let's just start there. So, like, premise wise, plot wise, and I, I, actually, first, I think you're I think you're totally right that like Pax Romana feels like it's stuffed with ideas that could go not just for six issues, but for more, right? And and we talked at the time when we did the episode about like that series. The original plan was Hickman living in like a Hellboy esque universe, is what he talks about. Like he thought he could stay in the Pax Romana verse for years, and then it just never happens, right? Um, but you actually feel like there's enough meat there. Well, that sounds right. That actually sounds like something that could have happened and would have been potentially very interesting. With the Red Wing, it's the opposite. It's it's like there's not that much meat on the bone of the story and of the ideas. If anything, if there had been more issues, it probably would have been on characterization, I think. If yeah. that would, would have been most useful is to actually feel like we connect to these characters. Because So what you're saying here is basically we have two fighter pilots, two young men who come into the army, right? They come into the, they're, they're joining as these time traveling fighter pilots. And one of them has a history where his, uh, um, I actually, well, I think it's both of their yeah. fathers like went missing. Right? Yeah. Uh, something happened to them. They died. Yep, exactly. So like their fathers are missing. They're kind of curious about like, th we're, these are fighter pilots who, tra who travel through time. Could they be lost in time? That sort of thing. Right. So there's clearly a, like a sense of mystery. It's not a mystery comic though. It's not really playing with like, well, what happened? We have to explore this. It's more just like, okay, they could be out there. And because we're dealing with fighter pilots who go to the past, who travel to the future, etc., obviously that's a, a possibility. And then the way the comic ends, which you say, is with something that feels like it should be a huge reveal. Yeah. Like it should be a bomb that's dropping um, and a really cool turn or twist that makes you reconsider the way you read it. And it, it is that, but it just, it doesn't have the heft or the impact for me. And I think a big part of that is I didn't, I just never got that invested in these people on the second read it. I just noticed that they don't foreshadow this reveal at all. It just happens. Like yeah. the book for the most part focuses on parallel universes is the uh, world where, uh, where the world got even worse because of the parents. It's whereas the twist is a time travel twist. So you have, have uh, it, the time travel story that basically, popped into my head when I read the story for the first time was All You Zombies by Robert Heinlein, where the main characters revealed mm. to be their own mother, father, lover, brother. Her, all, they're they're <laughs> the same person. It's one person. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, one person is the same person. Yeah, no, it's totally, it's that. It's like, it's yeah. it's the characters that we've been interacting with, and there aren't that many, right? right there's like four. Yeah. And it's like, you know, they're all, they're all more or less the same person. Um, I, I think... You can feel the reveal coming, mm -hmm. I think. You know, like, you can feel like, okay, there has to be something here. Because as as these two young men get into the fighter pilots and they're training and they're and we're also flashing back to the father's original journeys. And, like, clearly there's a sense of, like, okay, these are going to connect. Something's going to happen here. 
um, we get a reveal in the future where the father, because the father doesn't die is the thing, right? So we get these flashbacks. That's like, you know, we have the dramatic irony of that, that the father is lost in time. We get some sequences of him meeting these sort of um, ancient civilizations and things, which are so shorthanded. Yeah. Like it's, it's so, it's so very slight in the way that it's trying to do the social engineering and conversations about person from the future back in time, that sort of less darkness falls influence, but it's like three pages of it. <laughs> you know, it's so slight. Um, but anyway, when they get pulled to the future, because eventually that, that individual, the dad gets pulled to the future. He's like being tortured by this mysterious person with cool designs. We got Nick Patera does cool designs throughout this whole thing. Um, but it's like, okay, that's his, that's his son from this parallel universe. Mm-hmm. Right. So there's all these mechanisms of things spinning and and the ways that characters interacting and it's not even that it's for me it's not that it's like confusing it's not that it's like i'm lost in the mechanics of who is what it's like and which reality it's like it's it's not so much that the characters are uh, bad yeah it's not they're not developed there's just uh, the stuff with you have the stuff with the dad you have the stuff with but you don't really have stuff with dad. He's just dad. It's it's a it's a it's a it's the vague concept of dad. Yeah, it's, right? yeah, like another time travel story would be Seven Soldiers, where okay, so with Seven Soldiers, you have have people going back in time to plunder the past for their resources because the future is terrible. Well, they yeah, you know, it's not real. The implications of Seven Soldiers is that the reason why the future is terrible is because they keep plundering the past. Whereas this, it's just a vague notion of we're going to we're going to war with your timeline because as we our timeline sucks. Like it's there's nothing within the, the narrative to highlight this. It's, it's just the timeline's terrible. Well, and that's so. Like, I guess that's the thing is you know we talked a little bit before we started at when you wrote a review for Comic Herald of a Red Mask from Mars. And up front, you know, you, you talked about this notion of the early Hickman stuff is often gesturing at ideas without sort of filling them in. And I think the Red Wing is probably guiltiest of this, of any of them, um, yeah. because it is it is fully, I don't know, it is, it's really just like, I have this idea, and I, I kind of want to communicate the visual spectacle of it, but otherwise I'm going to take like every shortcut imaginable you know, to sort for the drama and the narrative of it. And I actually think that runs so counter to a, what Hickman is good at and B even just what he had done on the previous works. Like even, you know, again, like I said, like it makes me appreciate the density and the thoughtfulness of Pax Romana, which I think is the best of the bunch. Um, The nightly news has its problems, but it is a fully realized story. I think Um, a red mask for Mars is a similar thing, but it's, the stuff that it's gesturing at is often of a superhero language that I am at least compatible in, you know, that I am familiar with. So I kind of excuse some of the shorthands there. So in some cases appreciate, you know, because I've read so many superhero comics in the case of the red wing, the stuff it's gesturing at, like you said, is like the idea of your kids blaming you for the state of the world. Um, the idea of like when my kids right now are in their twenties and thirties and they're living in whatever 2040s, 2050s climate change world looks like of them looking back at me and saying, why didn't me, why didn't I do more? Why didn't my generation do more? That is very relatable as a concept. Okay. That is very, that is very emotionally resonant. 
I think, for any parent of of young children right now, and I'm sure it has been, right? Every every there's a Wilco line. Every generation thinks they're the last, thinks it's the end of the world, right? This is a a constant psychology realities, you know, changing obviously and shifting. That's all there. That's all good. That's all good storytelling fodder. It's just tossed in at the end. It's just yeah, tossed I, in at the end. Like, well, of course we get this, and I do, but it's not built up to. I didn't think in the narrative yeah, itself. It doesn't even do anything interesting with the concept of time travel. Like, off the top of my head, you could, a time war is very fascinating. You yeah. using time travel. You're using history itself to, to defeat your opponents. Like, the, there's an evocative line at the beginning. In, uh, let me just. Is this the uh, the change of their culture? This is how we lost the twenty first century. Like that is a that is a friggin' in mood hit. Like yeah, you, you like that. Nothing in the book ever lives up to that line. It's just a, a bunch of people shooting at each other. It's you basically just have space travel. Well, for most of it, yeah, right. And it's I think visually it is sold quite well. I think um, the way Patera and Rosenberg show the time travel. Um, we have these sort of slanting, sliding panels, right? As pilots are clearly flying from, you know, prehistoric dinosaurs to Egyptian pyramids, right? Like there's there's some really good layout work. There's some good just um, time traveling travel, you know, that is sold in these pages. And then there's the four sequence, four sequence two of two page spread, four page, four sets of two page spreads of just pure black with the exception of a, of a tiny spaceship that just yeah. highlights it's what it's like to be lost in space. Like you barely see this ship in yeah. them, but it's just, and there's, a, the, and there's a confidence to doing that, that I think there's an arrogance, but there's also a confidence yeah. to doing that. That is kind of cool. <laughs> I do like yeah, I, that, that confidence. Cause you don't see that in a lot of comics, especially again, like, it's somewhat it's a slight book already and if you're collecting this in a four issue span and one of your books is like you know or even just the trade right and it's just eight pages of basically black <laughs> like you have to be confident in that beat you know yeah. for that to work and i don't know that it does work because of what's around it um but i do appreciate the confidence you know i do you said there's not necessarily that much interesting with the time travel here and i I think broadly I agree, although like there, like you said, like there are these tossed off ideas. Like there's another quote that I actually liked a lot to truly eliminate an enemy. You must change their culture, convince them that how they thought was wrong. That's a yeah. cool idea. That's very Frank yeah. Herbert doing but that. The right? book doesn't do anything with it. But that, but the book does nothing with it. It does absolutely nothing with it. it absolutely. Um, it, you know, I think too, like Hickman, he also here does True Detective time as a flat circle <laughs> before True Detective, <laughs> you know, like that is his vision for what time is, um, which I don't think is like brand new or anything. Yeah, uh, uh, Ligotti is the obvious precursor for that. Yeah. So like it's it's playing on and I like when when he actually you can tell probably the thing that that is the sci fi of it that Hickman is most invested in is explaining some of the mechanics of this version of time travel. I don't know that it like, it, here's the thing about time travel. I don't care if it actually makes sense, generally yeah. speaking, you know, as so long as I feel a sense of conviction and I feel a sense of, of sort of scientific and philosophy merging into something that sells how cool this is going to be. That's all I care about in time travel stories generally. Yeah. And um, yeah, from a metaphorical perspective, if you have to ask what, yeah, when ring sci-fi, oftentimes it's, looking at things from a metaphorical perspective because let's be honest time travel science is usually bunk it's yeah 
it's rubbish. So what does time travel mean in a story? Oftentimes the answer is the ability to change the world. So you're telling like a, the obvious one is quantum leap, wherein each leap EP goes and makes something better. He helps a person who's in trouble. He prevents the assassination of, of uh, Jackie Kennedy. He just all these various different things. You change the going to the past is a is a means of changing it. Pax Romana. That's the whole the whole premise, right? Essentially, is we're going to go back to time of Constantine and we're going to re-engineer what society is, right? Yeah. Uh, whereas Red Wing is basically just time travel is a place to go. It's just another field in this in the sky. Uh, you're just as two fire pilots are fighting against time with a time travel story with the premise. We are going to change change your, your perception to make you know that you're wrong. It's right. not, uh, we're going to change it by shooting you in the face. It ought to be, we're going to change it by changing details. We're going to introduce war irrigation to who, uh, culture or that didn't have it. We're going to burn a library that would have inspired a fascist revolt. Mm -hmm. We're going to change history, essentially. Yeah. This is just a time travel is a time travel is the sky I for fireplace. It's, it's yeah, right. Yeah, like there's no why. There's no like like when a fighter pilot goes and he's soaring alongside a dinosaur, there's really no why behind it. There's no like, well, he had to go to that point in time for reason X. It's just a cool visual. <laughs> like, like a, I'm kind of okay with that. Um, except I think there needed to be a little more understanding of why, like, I guess if there is a narrative here Mm -hmm. that is supposed to be the core of it, it's the story of this father and son and their dynamic, like by the end. And, and, and ironically, like this is kind of what a red mask for Mars does too. Mm -hmm. Um, it's clearly something top of mind for Hickman. I imagine this is around the time his kids are probably pretty young and he has. Yeah. And then there's also going to his work for hire work stuff, uh, Franklin Richards. Yeah, sure. You, right. Like it's, it's a time travel with that. Absolutely. It's a recurring, a recurring trend here. Um, it's just like, I don't know. Yeah. It's, it's just kind of depressingly slight. Um, I, you know, I do just want to say too, like this comics now, like this is set in the 23rd century. Mm-hmm. So it's a future where this time travel is created and this time war is in action. Um, it reminds me a little bit of paper girls. I think is probably a comic that does this sort of thing a lot better. At least yeah. in my view, right. Paper girls is, absolutely a time travel story by Brian K. Vaughn and, and Cliff Chang. And it also does a thing where like, there's a time war it's happening. Uh, but it's kind of all around everyone. And that's a, that's a great example. Obviously it's a much longer series, yeah. um, but that's a great example where it's like, we get so invested in the characters and their emotional arcs and their journey, or at least I did um, that like the time travel is, is setting. It is, it is visual dressing. It is not the story necessarily, yeah. you know? And there, and to use a different example that highlights the difference, up uh, there's Tom King's actual first comic was a time travel story. It's full of demons, which basically highlights the consequences of a time travel act. In this case, mm-hmm. the obvious question: What would you? What would happen if you? Would you kill baby Hitler? Or yeah. with the presumption that yes, you would kill baby Hitler. It's 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 about his sister who is for who lives her life through the course of. I think eight pages is it's a short comic that she just lives her life and it's traumatized over the fact that her brother was murdered right in front of her by some weird weird space guy yeah. and over the course of the narrative it becomes a the world the world around her is actually a better place without adolf hitler or yeah. yes you do kill hitler but jesus christ why are you killing a child 
Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Like right. he's a fucking painter. You could kill him as a painter if you're going to kill him. <laughs> like if you're gonna, yeah, just go to Vienna when he's a paint when he's a painless painter who doesn't matter. Take the take the the child killing trauma out of it. Yeah, <laughs> it's a less debatable. Yeah, yeah, it's a less debatable thing then for sure. Okay, yeah, totally agree. So I think yes, there are. I don't know. It kind of it definitely got me thinking about the broad use of time travel. Obviously, we've dropped a lot of references here. I actually, I, not even that intentionally, finally finished watching Tenet, Christopher mm-hmm. Nolan's Tenet. I've been watching it slowly over the course of like four months yeah. on HBO, and just I constantly get interrupted and I'm pausing it. So like worst way to watch it, okay? But yeah. it reminded me very. I feel like they're actually of a piece. I feel like they're very similar in that they have a broad idea of how they want to do time travel. They want to show that they want to show the spectacle of that and everything else is kind of window dressing, right? Everything else is kind of just a means to that end, which can be fun, you know, in a way. Yeah. But the thing with Tenet is that at the very least you have sequences where they play with the implications of time travel. You have, Oh yeah. It's like there's two different fight scenes that are the same fight scene played a backwards and forwards. You have that sort of, fun stuff right. whereas red wing doesn't really have stuff like that you don't have say a a fight scene of you know about you know i'm trying to think there's there's a scene in uh a superman beyond on where they're going through various where they're being attacked while traveling through various alternate universes you don't yeah. have something like that in right red wing yeah no right no it's it's all i it, it's so funny because it's like it is the flattest thing i think hickman has done um and i think there's you know it's funny i went back and i was reading a lot of the reviews from like 2011 because i'm just curious like what what was the reaction at the time and you can sort of tell and this is maybe something i would have been guilty of in the moment i don't know i wasn't i wasn't invested at the time um but you can sort of tell that there's an assumption that this is more thoughtful and uh and and more heavy sci-fi because of hickman's catalog to that point yeah. Which at the time this is released, you know, like we said, is nightly news, is Pax Romana, is a red mask for Mars, and then is a lot of Marvel stuff. Fantastic Four and FF are nearing completion by the time this is coming out, his long run on that, right? So you have a really reputable, high-quality catalog at that point, and you can just tell sort of in the critical reaction that there's an assumption that there's a built-in faith in the author already at that point that like, oh yeah, the Red Wing's really smart and really thoughtful, but reading it now, it's like... It is so uncharacteristically slight and it's, it's, it's an easy read. It goes down fast. It's harmless. I think generally speaking, um, it's, it's just probably my least favorite of all of the stuff so far, even transhuman, frankly, because there's, there's not, there's not enough to chew on. I think transhuman, there's a lot of mess to chew on. You know what I mean? Actively evil. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Like it, you know what, but transhuman got me to read, um, three fingers. Have you read Three Fingers? Uh, no, I haven't. Okay, it's um, it's it's a similar mockumentary style about a fake history of the animation industry, Ooh. but it's like, what if Mickey Mouse was, you know, a real part of the world, right? And and it's this something the rat character, and it's all about this dark secret history of like toons and humans living together uh, in secret. Is it a comic or uh, or something? Yeah, else? yeah, it's a, it's a graphic novel. Um, I, I want to say like, it's a fanographics thing, but I could be off on uh, it. Uh, top shelf, top shelf. It's, it's top shelf. Yes. Thank you. Uh, it's interesting. I, it's not like one of my favorites ever, but it's an interesting read. Transhuman inspired me to sort of go down that path. 
like I said, the Red Wing gets me thinking about time travel, but it doesn't. It, that's always interesting to me. That's not that's not the you know a credit to this book necessarily. I guess. Yeah, you're thinking of better time travel stories while reading in Red Wing. You, well, even you, even Hickman's own, like I keep saying, like Pax Romana is such a better time travel story. Like I really, yeah. I really appreciate that. Um, I do stuff I like. There's a really nice use of color by Rosenberg here in these fractured panel layouts to show traveling through time. I think in flight through time, I think that's probably where the book is often at its best. Um, I also really like the idea. I don't know if it actually came out like this, but of a time travel story counting down from issue four to issue one. I don't know mm -hmm. if it came out issue four first, but I wish that it had. I think that's yeah, pretty cool. I, uh, I, yeah, I think I think it did, but I I don't think the, I don't think the number the issues were numbered or four through one, but because that's how the covers do it in the trade. Yeah. Like four, yeah. three, two, one. And it's it's a very small, slight thing, but I wish in shops it had actually started that way to the I'm sure madness of any retail owners. Yeah, but I think that might also be Grant Morrison's influence given the third volume of The Invisibles goes 12 to 1. Oh, does it? Okay, perfect. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I'm I'm so I've been thinking actually a lot about what creator would I want to do next? You know, if I did this next year. So once we we're gonna keep doing the Hickman stuff and like we've got good stuff to come. You know, like I, I've been saying for a while, like part of what is interesting about the Red Wing is it's the last of these, and then Hickman and Patera come together again and they start the Manhattan projects, which is which a lot is, better, which is a lot better. And there's a lot to chew on and think about and discuss. And we're going to do that. And that, and it's a much longer run. And I think one thing you see, and maybe part of the reason this feels, it, it feels like his first work almost like yeah. if the Red Wing was his first comic, that would make more sense than the nightly news. You yeah, know, might, yeah, I think, I think what happened, it might be one of those cases where you write a script for a comic, but you don't feel, but you put it aside and then when you get big, you decide to release it. It might've been sure. like that. Sure. Right. And, and an excuse to like work with this creator that like, so Hickman and Patera, they had worked together in 2009 on this really goofball, astonishing tales, mini in Mojo world for Marvel. Um, it's a Sam and Bobby story. So it's Sunspot and, and Cannonball uh, Hickman favorites. It's the first X-Men thing he ever did. Um, although calling it an X-Men thing is a stretch, but it's a, it's a total goofball Mojo world thing. Um, but they had worked together before. This wasn't the first time, you know, um, and then they get together on this and then they really take off with Manhattan Projects. Yeah. Yeah. Manhattan Projects is the kind of book that uh, you can. See. There's a lot of stuff in the Manhattan Projects that the most telling thing about the Manhattan Projects is that Jack Parsons is not involved in the Manhattan Projects, it's, <laughs> which. Wow. Is that what that guy is? That guy's history is wild. Like, like a, I assume. Uh, have you been reading Grant Morrison's Substack? Uh, I, I've fallen behind. What, yeah, uh, what okay. You, this was in one of the first, the first one, the first housekeeping one they did. Uh, they mentioned that they were going to be in the show version of, of, of Jack Parsons' life if it got a third season to play Alistair Crowley. <laughs> okay, perfect. Yeah. Yeah. So that's the kind of person Jack Parsons, that's the kind of scientist Jack Parsons is. Yeah. Yeah. No, I'm definitely, I'm definitely interested in exploring the actual history of the real Manhattan projects and then sort of the side by side with the Hickman fictionalized version. Um, I think that'll be a lot of fun, but what I was getting at there is, so we've got a lot of good stuff coming in, in going through the Hickmania experience with these longer runs in East to West, obviously, and all this stuff for next year. When I do go to another creator, the one that keeps coming to my head is Grant Morrison because I am woefully, I am woefully under read on Morrison's, um, create our own stuff like I, I haven't done the filth I've, I've only touched the invisibles so i like you know so i that's like that's probably the one that is number one on 
what I most want to read and catch up on. Um, but I, but I'll see. I've gotten some good suggestions from people listening. Like a lot of people were like Brian K. Vaughnathan would be fun, but I've also read most of Vaughn's stuff already. So like it'd be a more of a revisit for me. Um, I saw um, some Ed Brubaker suggestions, which would also be fun, but like criminal is always a good time. Um, but anyway, that's, that's where I'm at. It's more Morrison and more are like the obvious two, right? Cause they're the one, a one B of comics. And I'm, I'm sort of debating if I actually want to go that route or not. I mean, you could also go Gillen. Gillen would be fun too, but like I, that's another one where Gillen would be good actually, you know, but I've, I've done phonogram. I've done wicked and divine. So a lot of be revisited, which those are, those are comics I would enjoy revisiting. Like, yeah, that's not, uh, I think there's nothing wrong there. Uh, I mean, with, problem with Morrison is that you have to read Big Dave, which is um, very <laughs> transhuman. Yeah, okay. See, but like, I, not that I like bad comics, but it is, it is an interesting experience to read a mess by a big name and a creator that knows better. You know what I mean? Like, it's, it's yeah. an interesting thing to consider that in their catalog. You know, it's like listening to, to metal machine music or something mm -hmm. and, and being like, this is a, a artist that I love dearly. But wow, does that hurt? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you know? uh, re yeah. Like it's like listening to hours. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. It's just you can tell that there's some good songs in hours, but you don't start an album with Thursday's Child. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> yeah, that's not an album opener, and it just hurts the whole experience going forward. Mm -hmm. It's not a bad song; it's perfectly fine, but not an album opener. It's a challenge. It's a challenge. Yeah. Absolutely. But mm -hmm. I but I enjoy a challenge, especially again, it's that thing of like I was talking about the critical reception of Hickman and the Red Wing, where it's like when you build up a level of faith, when you build up a level of confidence in a creator, you're willing to take a punch. You know, you're like like you're willing to take some hits and be like, okay, where are we going with this? Yeah. You know? I mean you've you've read my work. You know, oh, I will go oh for weird, messy stuff. Yeah. Like, yeah. Like, I'm pretty sure David like uh off the top of my head up, uh, I have a love for Carrie Andrews's is up uh, Spider-Man Rain. It's, sure. It's a hot mess of a book that probably needed another or two or either need it needed four issues or to be four double-sized issues used to fully work. But it's freaking amazing. Just one of those weird comics that you really wish people all did. It I feel it like Spider-Man Rain gets it gets too easily ignored because of radioactive sperm. Yeah. Because you Miss out on, like that's just one page, and the implication is that he's he's lying. Yeah, you know, it's sort of, of course, Pierre Parker would find a way to blame himself for his wife getting cancer. <laughs> right. Yeah. <laughs> he would find a way to blame himself for that. Yeah. Right. No, it, it, and that's the thing is like, if it hadn't been so salacious, right, mm -hmm. and and sort of goofy, um, and was just like, well, my presence and my radioactive blood or whatever, like it could have been just much simpler and a version of just like the point is the guilt. But yes, that is, that's an interesting mess of a comic for sure. Yeah. Um, that, that I don't think enough people give enough time. Maybe that's what you should do next year. Up, invite various guests to talk about co messy comics. They love messy comics. They love. That's an interesting, that's an interesting trend. I wonder what my, I'd have to go through my list and see like, what is the, what's the one that I, I will stand up for and defend. I mean, um, like, I'd have to take a look. Cause that, that is a fun concept. I enjoy it. Um, and obviously like, I think, you know, you could probably tell from this, like we're finding other things to talk about because yeah. <laughs> there's not that much to talk about with the red wing. I mean, truly it's just like, it just never gets out of first gear. Um, yeah. and I wish 
that it did. I I did want to talk to you, Sean. I don't know how well versed you are on like the history of this because again, it's all 2011 stuff. Mm-hmm. But it's I, when I was going back and looking this up, I was surprised to see in like the press and the pre-release hype, people were talking about this as like part of this plus movement. So like there was the there was going to be the plus project, which was Hickman releasing three graphic novels. Um, including one that he was writing and drawing again, which would have been the first time that he had done that since yeah. Pax Romana, because he writes and draws his first two works, and then he, he goes on and works with different artists. This Plus Project uh, never comes to fruition. <laughs> it, it was yeah. hyped up. It was a big thing. There was even an announcement for Feel Better Now, which was going to be, and I've got the quote here, the darkly comic story of rogue psychiatrists who manipulate their patients out of boredom. It sounds oh, very cool. transhuman-esque. Sounds yeah. very transhuman-esque. Um, this was going to be a one-shot, an oversized one-shot written and drawn by Hickman. It was announced, and then it got delayed indefinitely and has never come out. Yeah. So, like, the Red Wing was a part of this, like, supposed to be returned to creator-owned for Hickman, um, which he never really leaves. I, I don't know, but, like, that was the way it was marketed. And uh, it just never happened. Uh, the Red yeah. Wing started, and then this kind of gets axed, and then it's Manhattan Projects and off to the races. You know? It's interesting. Yeah. And then, yeah, I get, I think what happened, best case thing I can guess what happened was he got two Avengers titles. Yeah, right. And basically did his file and basically spent and hundreds of issues fishing up his Fantastic Four run. Right, exactly, exactly. Yeah, because that's the thing is like, you know, in 2011, Hickman's already a pretty big name in the comic scene because of Fantastic Four being very good and, and recognized as very good at this point. And then going into 2012 and starting in late 2012, he takes over Avengers. Um, and at that point, uh, he, he really obviously ascends because Avengers becomes the biggest movie in the world. He starts writing this really, like you said, basically continuation of his fantastic four run through the pages of new Avengers, um, all building to my favorite comic event of all time, 2015 secret wars. Uh, but, and the red wing is just, it's a total curiosity in the middle of all that. Um, as all that movement is happening on the Marvel side of thing. And it's just, totally overshadowed. And I think with good reason, I just, I don't know. I find it interesting. Like, I feel like amongst Hickman heads, this has, or had like a pretty positive, like, ah, cool time travel, you know, idea vibe and, and, and reaction. Um, as opposed to what it feels like to me, which is a, a pretty obvious disappointment, I think, given how capable he is of bigger and better, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Like a, yeah it's just yeah it's fine it's it's not a bad comic it's perfectly it's perfectly serviceable but you expect more from hickman yeah yeah i think that's the thing i think or at that's the very the least thing. at this length yeah you know, like, like if it was a one shot like like uh that there was that deadpool thing he did with shang chi a few years like i think yeah, that was, yeah the hot dog motorcycle race yeah that one yeah and that yeah you know, like, uh, that you have that sort of stuff, stuff but you could you expect that this level for some that short like it's just five page i think it was like half an issue yeah it's short but mm-hmm. at four issues it just feels like you're you're spinning wheels mm-hmm. yep. just not doing anything with what instead of wheels within wheels which is yeah. what he does well <laughs> i yeah. think typically um so I, i'm curious what are of the you know, you mentioned you had read some of these in, in the past and had gone back to some of them. Mm-hmm. Of the short Hickman stuff, the early releases, what is your favorite? Like, what's the one that you think works the best? 
in terms of which one works best narratively, probably the nightly news. I haven't revisited it in years, but it's probably the one that works best narratively. In mm -hmm. terms of the ideas Hickman is gesturing towards, I actually have a lot of time for Red Mask from Mars. I know sure. I was a bit hard on it in my article for on it, but it, but I'm but that's because I'm fascinated by the idea of utopian of utopianism and what it means for an idea to shift with time. Yeah, it like you have a book about how how people about basically the man of tomorrow oh goes to the future and and the people realize he's he's from a previous tomorrow. The tomorrow he's from has already come and passed. As he, you know, it's all well and good to be a, an author, an Arthurian hero, but the Arthurian heroes were kind of crap. Yeah, yeah, and that leads and, into that. Yeah, right. He basically spends the majority of the book is spent doing this rote, rote alien invasion plot where, where most of the interesting stuff is relegated to four pages or discarded as soon as it as soon as possible, but. Uh, you still have that interesting stuff in there that I want. I want you know Kickman or another writer to just poke at with a stick and do more within the future. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Right. That, that you know that's an interesting point. That's the thing where I think the Red Wing. It's the first time I sort of realized like these first five works, maybe with the exception of the nightly news, because I think that that really begins and ends, and I think ends effectively. But the next four, they're all kind of like. Like, hey, I'm going to do this thing. It's going to have some cool ideas. Somebody else come pick it up and run with it. <laughs> they all kind of have that vibe. The pilot. Almost like a pilot. Yeah, 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 exactly. And it's like, it's kind of funny given what's happened with X-Men, where that became what actually happened, where it was like, I'm going to set the stage for what feels like it could be the coolest. <laughs> and then I'm going to leave it to you, my friends and collaborators, to take that ball and run with it or not, right? I except there's no actual team that he's working with that is ever going to do that with any of the, the creator-owned stuff, you know? Which is another way of saying, I suppose, it it's early in his career and he's figuring stuff out. And I think getting all the reps he gets at Marvel during this time clearly helped. I mean, clearly, like, just purely on a craft level, right? You're just learning a lot about story. But, like, doing a long plotting thing on Fantastic Four, seeing that that worked, seeing that fans were here for that, that clearly opens the doors for what he's going to go on and do on Manhattan Projects, on East to West, even on Black Monday Murders, even though it has stalled, you know? Um, and and I think that's definitely for the best <laughs> that those that those things are happening in sequence because these these little minis, they, they come and they say, now run with that, but there's no one there. There's no one there to grab the baton. You know, and it just kind of ends, uh, which is somewhat disappointing. Yeah, but but you know, so it goes, so it goes. That's why we do the project, right? To to see what is the progression of yeah, a creator I, that we like. Yeah, I think this is something I noticed when reading some. You know, I a few a couple of years back, I read uh, Tom King's first novel, the uh, a, a Once Crowded Sky. Just, yeah, yeah. You know, I was curious about it, so I checked out. I got it through interlibrary loan. Checked it out, gave it a read, and you can see it's what I call the a first novel old problem. Like you can see the interest that the author has, you can see some of the rough edges, some of the failure states. It's but you can you can see the ideas that are going to be, go through their whole career here, mm -hmm. here going mm -hmm. forward. The early stuff, it's it's not as clear cut or yeah, you know, 
it's not as clean and straightforward as his layer work, but you can you can see what he's going to explore, what he's interested in, and it gives you it gives you some insight. It's not it's not the best work he's done, but you can see the through line going forward. Well, and you can also see with that novel, you can see the ambition, yeah, and sort of the um, the willingness to experiment and try things that yeah. I think is is probably the thing that I like the most about King at this point, just mm -hmm. in in very general terms. Like the thing that always keeps me engaged with a Tom King project at this point is I know he's going to take some swings. I know yeah. he's going to try to do something interesting and it might fall on its face. Some of them have, right? Um, but I'm going to be engaged with the attempt. Batcat's the obvious one that fell on his face. I don't think Batcat works, but it's also like I read that comic and I'm very interested in what's happening because it's just like like we're we're just hopping through time with like no explanation and there's all sorts of nutty stuff happening on a craft and on a uh and it's like that's the thing is like in a in a for if it's the first time you're reading an author and you're totally unfamiliar with them you might read that book and be like they don't know what they're doing <laughs> right but with king you know it's intentional he's very intentional and i appreciate that you know yeah like actually i've seen a version of back hat that does work it's called it's cry havoc by Cy Spurrier and ryan kelly Interesting. Okay. Yeah. the The issue with that is that difference between the two is that, that what Spurrier and Kelly do is they hire three colorists. Mm, sure. Three separate people color the various time time periods that they are going to explore. Whereas with Man, it's just one colorist going through the entire period, going through all three. Even Rorschach pulled that off. I actually thought pretty effectively um, with the Jorge Fornes visuals, where that's a book that also does a similar thing of hopping through time um, and, and hopping through sort of, you know, perspectives of the world, but it sells it very clearly. I thought um, like you, th the clues of the visual language are there, you know, in a way that just felt more cohesive. Mm. Um, whereas back cat feels real helter skelter. I think yeah. a lot of times, you know, at yeah, least it just be man and King aren't a good fit with each other for all the, that they get on with one another. They just, you know, don't really work together as creative pair yeah yeah it's i mean it's tricky too like i mean the other piece of that obviously is i have no baggage with a new take on a rorschach that i've never met before i have a lot of baggage with batman and catwoman <laughs> like yeah like i bring a lot to that party um yeah. that that is just the history of the medium right so but uh, yeah so that's that's a good comp i think it is it, it's definitely like you said like that novel you know i'm very interested in seeing the ways that creators evolve and and become who they're going to be over time. And I think that's when you go through the sequence from the nightly news through the red wing, you're getting a lot of that with Hickman. The only thing you're not getting is the long-term planning and the thing that he's famous for in terms of, you know, a bet of like resonating a bell and a 20th issue that connects back to all sorts of stuff we'd read in previous issues, right? You don't get that because everything here is short and it's, it's a limited time frame. And I, I guess I got to say, too, like, I'd be curious now. Obviously, he's doing his three worlds, three moons thing and seems super invested in that. I think maybe decorum is actually the the answer I'm looking for here in terms of, like, would he be better at pulling off something that was tight and to the point now than he was at this time? Because clearly he's, I guess, House of X and Powers of Ten maybe even is is a similar thing, uh, right? Black Mur Monday Murders. Well, but Black Monday Murders is, like, was that actually supposed to like it wasn't supposed to be tight right there's been health issues with the artist it's it's a 12 it was always planned to be 12 issues 
Okay, so like we're we're not that far from the end. I guess that's a better comp than two because I yeah. I do think there's a like he gets so much credit for being because of the Marvel stuff and the ongoing nature and the, the length of it of being this long term plotter. But I think one thing that he's evolved in in the in the more recent years is like okay, taking that thinking, but now condensing it into basically one graphic novel sized package. Um, and I think decorum, which I think isn't perfect and is more of a Mike Huddleston showcase than yeah. anything at the end of the day. But it's also like, it's tight. It's, it's, it does what it wants to do and it gets out. And is he better at that now than he was in the early days? I think probably. Um, but what you lose is you lose some of the freewheeling. It, it's just sort of like, I don't know what the rules are and I'm going to break them because I don't know them stuff that happens in the nightly news in Pax Romana or even the red wing has a, a thing where, so the one piece we didn't talk about is you know, I mentioned there's this very, very brief allusion to like social engineering and going back and meeting a civilization. And there are these text pages that sort yeah. of ta- they're like diaries of meeting this. Like it's ex- it's ex- um, uh, not innovative, but like it's an experiment. It's trying stuff. I just think we've literally seen it better from this creator before. Yeah. But those moments I got engaged with, I assume that was something that was going to continue through the rest of this arc. And I actually kind of wish it had. Yeah, um, but it gets dropped pretty quickly. I guess uh, it's care. literally only that one an issue. It feels it feels like something that you do throughout the entire series. Yeah, like you, right. You you spend you spend three multiple issues, or at the very least, throughout the issue beyond those four pages. Like you spend you go back to one of those pages is is you you know you have stuff with the in the quote unquote present, and then a page of in the past. As yep. as whereas having the four or right in a row with one another or it makes it feel a bit more slight. Yeah. Yep. Agree. No. So, I mean, I think yeah, at the end of the day, like there's a lot of time travel comics, a lot of time travel narratives that I'd probably recommend over this. You know, I even think something like, um, like Mark Miller's Chrononauts is like a lot more fun <laughs> version of this, frankly, not a perfect comic by any measure, but like, I just think it's, it's more enjoyable and it's clearer in what it's trying mm-hmm. to do. Obviously I talked about paper girls and, and we've referenced stuff here as well. Um, there are better examples. Yeah, definitely. Well, even if you want to go with the idea of the relationship between fathers and sons and time travel, Back to the Future is right there. <laughs> sure. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. They even have have one where you know, one of the characters changes history for or nefarious means. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Which is always an interesting premise, I think, as well. I've also started reading. I haven't finished it, but I started reading uh, Isaac Asimov's The End of Eternity. I've been on kind of a Asimov v. Hickman kick of late, as you know, Sean. Yeah. And, uh, and that one is is an interesting, uh, it's been an interesting read so far as well, just in terms of like, you know, because the thing there is like somebody who's really interested in the mechanics of it all. Um, but then how do you blend that with n- narrative momentum and emotional resonance through character, mm-hmm. right? And that that becomes the challenge in a good time travel story. So that's that's my wreck for the moment um obviously there's a whole history of of the medium that has plenty of examples uh yeah the one that i actually go for is my favorite novel of all time this is how you lose the time war Ooh, okay it's a romance between two people who are fighting a time war against one another yeah i have not read that i'm adding that to the queue all right awesome. is it's just beautiful oh like i i cried when i got to the final all pages Who's the author? Uh, Amal El Motar and Max Gladstone. Cool. I will check that out. Uh, Sean, where can people find you? Where should they look for your stuff? Uh, I, I'm i on Twitter at 
Death Price 2000. I write for or Panelix panel, among other places. Uh, I have a blog, the King in Red and Blue.blogspot.com, which has been a bit dormant lately, so, but I'm hoping to bring that up sometime over the summer. Or, uh, I just recently released a book through Arcbeal Press called The Tower Through the Trees. It's a solar punk novel about the death of the last city. I also, I generally do stuff for hire. I'm a I'm rare an editor, so if you need anything, just let me know. Cool. Perfect. Appreciate you joining. Again, I'm Dave. People can find my stuff at comicbookherald.com, of course, and at comicbookherald on Twitter and Instagram. Uh, we will be back next month with the start of Manhattan Projects here on Hickmania. If you like uh, the conversation here and want to play along in the reading club, you can, of course, follow along on the Comic Herald podcast uh, or YouTube channel. Like, subscribe, share, comment, all that fun stuff if you want to make sure you get these updates as they come out. So thanks for listening, everybody. And as always, enjoy the comics. <laughs>